This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording as always from the home studio. And uh, very glad to have someone who's on the on the joyous drive uh, down to Santa Clara. <laughs> we have uh, none other than Mike Silver, the columnist from the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, happy Blocktober. I haven't said that to you yet. Happy Blocktober to you. <laughs> And right back at you. We know it is the most it is the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, you know, I, I know this happens with you. I, I feel like people will make references about Blocktober on social media as though we only block people yes. or p- people are only coming out of the woodwork one month a year. And as you know, it is a twenty four seven three sixty five labor of love. Yeah, every day's Blocktober in your heart, right? In your heart and your mind, it, every day's Blocktober. It really, it really is. I mean, you know, you and I have very similar philosophies, and sometimes we make it cinematic, and sometimes we just quietly make people go away. And then there's one person in particular that you and I both adore that has created so many similar yet slightly different accounts and comes at us both. Uh, with regularity, and that's always a joy too. Yeah, we find like what we last count was like twenty five, maybe times. Blocked him maybe twenty five <laughs> times, twenty seven times. Had been had been laying in the weeds for a while, and then I think I, he popped up on my feed a little while ago. I'm like there he is, I knew he had a good <laughs> season this year. Uh, have you done a Have you done a count lately? Uh, somebody taught me. I, I had I had a count. Uh, then I think that website that would count them for me uh, disappeared. But I think there's a way you can count them up again, how many blocks you've had. Have you done a personal count recently? You know, I've always just said billions and billions serve. You know, I just, I, I don't know. I don't get too into the, you know, tech weeds, but it seems to me that early on in Twitter, and I think I joined around 08, right? And does that sound about when you yeah. joined? Oh, nine, I, oh, nine. I, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, oh, and I, I feel like in the earliest days, those first two years, that those were never counted in whatever that tally was. I feel like when that when I first saw my alleged tally and was aware of it, I was like, I, I knew it was impossibly low. Like it was in the south, low thousands, and I'm like, I know I've blocked, you know, way more people than that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know my count, but I. I do know the, the real count, and this would be really interesting to run for both of us. If there were a, a way to count how many pe- how many followers we'd have if we didn't do it the way we do it, and we just like let people vent and ignored them and did all the things you're supposed to do, because there's a, you know I've alienated people 
in so many different ways. And, and I'm happy about that. It's, you know, I, I know you agree. It's just, it's a philosophical thing and I'm at peace with it. I just know that everywhere I've worked, you know, NFL network, we'd have these, this media summit every year and they bring in someone from Facebook or some expert to talk about social media and they, you know, be breaking down how to best, maximize your brand and people would always just be looking at me laughing because literally every rule or tip that they had was the opposite of how I was doing it. So uh, here we are. I think there's, well, we don't need to talk all about this, but you, you and I certainly have a kindred spirits on this. I think blocking in the right way sometimes has people like cracking up about it and they want to see some of it. Uh, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I, I know, I'm sure you've yeah. I got exec, I've got executives from sports teams who's like, keep doing it. I love it. It's hilarious. I wish I could do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't want to be annoying about it, but I kind of get that, you know, it's the empowerment of it. And I don't know if the gains are lost, net gain, net loss, but it might be some, I mean, uh, I think, it might be some. Yeah. Well, there are definitely people who enjoy it for sure. And I think, you know, you and I, I think each believe at our core that my feed, my rules is the governing principle. So, you know, the notion of people telling you what to do or how you should do it or you shouldn't do this seems so laughable. And so I know we both have expressed that like, dude, it's my Twitter feed, so I'll just handle it the way I think I should. And then, you know, the other thing I tried to do early on, I remember thinking like, I'm going to try to go through the annals of human history and think of one person that I admire who would have given a damn about how many followers they had. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't do it. I was like, you know, I was just, you know, trying to start from the very beginning I could think of and all these great figures that I totally believe were, were admirable humans. I mean, no, she wouldn't care. He wouldn't care. So I'm very at peace with it. All good. All good. Okay. Let's talk a a, a little football as uh, we tend to do. Uh, You were in the great city of Cleveland for that uh, 49ers loss to the Browns. (laughs) We can talk about Cleveland a little bit maybe, but uh, do you, I mean, other than the kicker, we'll talk about the kicker side. Obviously they lose a game and Jake Moody misses a 41 yarder. But other than that, I mean, is, does it kind of raise some major questions for you for the 49ers? Does it not? Can you kind of just say, okay, it was a, a one-off war you on the 49ers after that? Pretty convincing, even if it was only by two points, victory by the Browns. Okay, well, first of all, I think we're going to look back and go, wow, that Browns defense was more special than we realized. Um, I've seen some numbers on yardage the first oh, five games, and they're like at a historical place and you know it's weird you don't think of them as having all these super Miles Garrett um, who is but they have a really good secondary including a rookie corner uh, who they just added to the mix Um, you know Zedaria Smith really gave them bookend pass rushers and, and helped Garrett and they've got a bunch of guys that haven't really popped onto the mainstream fans radar yet but they're really, really good. So that's the first thing. Um, and then, you know, there's this whole Jim Schwartz as a as a schematic guy, as a coordinator, has always oddly frustrated Kyle. You can trace Kyle's decision to 
get Chris Kacarek and go to the wide nine directly to the frustrations he experienced earlier with Schwartz and that defense. It, it just it gives his offense and, and his attempts to use outside zone as kind of a base part of that. It, it frustrates him so much that he kind of wanted to have that. And uh, by the way, that's one of the many themes I uh, explore in my book that I'm writing that hopefully will come out next fall that deals with the Shanahan McVay crew. And uh, it is interesting to me that both Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan ended up switching their defenses to schemes that bothered them as offensive strategists. In, in McVay's case, it was that Fangio uh you know, scheme that we saw in the 2018 late in the regular season, that Bears-Rams game, and then Belichick kind of used some elements of that in the Super Bowl. And with Kyle, it was very much that Schwartz and that wide nine that compelled him to change, uh, at least in the front end. So, um, you know, those two things are going on, but it's also the NFL, and every game is different. And, And I tried to kind of talk about that when I was watching Cowboys Chargers a little bit, that you saw the Cowboys get just humiliated on national TV as a fan, and fans are thinking, oh, they're trash, they're garbage, but they're really not. Sometimes games just get away from you, and, you know, the 49ers are really, really good, but they just had, you know, it was a boat race of a night. But the Cowboys have a really good defense, and the Chargers are pretty good, so... I think we tend to draw so many sweeping conclusions, especially early. And you know, realistically, it, it was the type of thing that happened to the NFL. It might have been a weird matchup schematically. Uh, the Browns' defense is really, really good. Um, and I do think the good news is they handled it really well afterwards. Uh, talking to, to people in that locker room, it's not just that they didn't turn on the kicker, and we can get to that, but – a lot of them said to be some variation of, we didn't really earn it. You know, we were going to win, but it didn't feel like we deserved it that much. And I thought that was kind of a healthy perspective. And then the other part that goes with that is we've been, I think, rightfully wondering about Brock Purdy. It's not his fault, but he hasn't had those come from behind opportunities to, to prove that he can do that. And he did. You know, they lost. The kick didn't make it. But after a miserable miserable day, he got the ball and managed to make some nice throws and get them down the field and set up a 41-yard attempt that normally wins it. So I think that was actually a good data point on Purdy. And there have been obviously a lot of those to go with it. If you're his coach, do you say, Brock, maybe uh, next time it's wet, why don't you try some gloves here? Uh, do you think that was – a major part of it, just playing in, in those conditions? I don't know any quarterbacks. I guess there have been a few. I just don't know any quarterbacks who like the glove on their throwing hand. You know, I mean, John Elway, who is as great as there has been and threw the ball like it was, you know, like he was conceived on this earth for that purpose kind of crappy in the rain a lot. He just hated the wet ball. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's weird. It's just part of it. But um, I don't know how much of it was that. I feel like 
he was under a lot of pressure. And the interesting thing to me, and I, I would add this to the list of ways that they handled the game in a good way, is that Kyle Shanahan was beating himself up a little bit and saying, guys got thrown in once Debo and McCaffrey were out. And it felt like they weren't ready from an assignment perspective. And that may be code for they should have learned their assignments better. But either way, he's saying that's on me as a coach to have that contingency plan and make sure they're ready assignment-wise. And, you know, was that a Ray Ray McLeod commentary? Was he talking somewhat about Elijah Mitchell and, and J.P. Mason? You know, I'm not totally sure, but that seemed to be a part of it too, at least under the presumption that he's usually reasonably honest about these things, which I think we'd agree more than most coaches he is. He's saying something there, and I think maybe that's factored into it too. Okay, you're the 49ers, you're 5-1, you just took this loss, got a Monday night game on artificial surface in Minnesota with McCaffrey, you know, presumably a minor injury, but still an injury, oblique, rib, whatever that is, uh, Debo Samuel with a shoulder, minor injury, Trent Williams with an ankle, possibly minor, it's easy for me to say minor, uh, I'm not the one who's playing in, in these games, but I've kind of thrown out there, maybe you know, and they have at times been a little conservative when they're going to an artificial turf. They were going into the New York game, and they had reason to be conservative, and they still lost a ton of people in that week two game two years ago. Um, uh, yeah. Do you think they might be conservative? Do you think they should be a little conservative? Maybe not play all three, maybe hold one back, maybe hold two back. How would you view this for for them you know, going into this spot, knowing they you know they got a short turnaround to the Cincinnati game at home? Uh, where where are you on all this? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I would start with the three people in question, and I say this affectionately, are all kind of crazy. Yep. And good crazy. You want that in your elite NFL mindset. But you're going to have to fight McCaffrey to keep him off the field most times. Uh, Debo, we've seen how he approaches this game. It's not subtle. And, you know, Trent is older and maybe – could be talked into it a little more easily, but he could have sat out after he heard it and he got right back in there. Um, and I'm, I don't think it was a very pleasurable experience going up against Miles Garrett on one leg. But so I think it starts with these guys are going to really try hard to play. It's the only reason I have any hesitancy about this team. I, I, I really believe they're the best team and that if they're remotely in this form in January and February that they're the team to beat in the league. But of course, football doesn't work that way. And I do think they are more vulnerable than most, if not all of the other teams that you could, you could see winning it because they have a lot of older guys. They have a lot of guys who played a lot. And because the style with which they play is so uh, punishing and, and, you know, physically intense. And so there was this crazy five-week run where they were all healthy for the most part. They missed the game, but that was it. Um, and then it, it kind of caught up to them. So I don't know how much of it is a Monday night, then a short week turf uh, concern to me or just a global concern, but 
I just hope that they find the best way to manage this through 17 games so that when they take the field and it's an elimination game, they have the best possible lineup they could put out there because I don't think depth is a strength. You go get Javon Hargrave, you're basically saying, we want yet another difference maker. I think internally that's a little bit of a concern, the depth. And, you know, that's that's a real issue. And, you know, we hadn't seen them have many weaknesses with their full 22. I think we can now ponder whether number 23 uh, is a potential weakness. And I'm not saying that to dump on a rookie kicker. I'm saying that in the context of they had one of the most dependable kickers in the history of the sport relative to context, chose to move on, and now are having a guy going through growing pains. And we, we saw them potentially lose a game only because of that. Let's just say you, Mike Silver is making this decision. Would you have made that decision by now? Robbie Gold's a kicker, or let's say you've, you've you've drafted Moody. They've done that. They've gone down that road. Uh, we right. debate that one. W- would you have replaced them by now? By Tuesday, would you have Robbie Gold on, on this roster? No, I. Well, I mean, first, I would not have made the decision. A, I would have sucked it up and paid Robbie, and it's not just Buddy. He annoys me as his boss, but I would have sucked all that up and paid him. I I also wouldn't have used a three, even a compensatory three, on any kicker. But be that as it may, now, no, I wouldn't do it now. I I, I think you can lose a game in the NFL, and your team's not going to turn on you, and they're not. And, yeah, they got lucky the Eagles lost, too. It's probably going to be fine, and, you know, he's probably going to be able to to become a good kicker in the league. Uh, but if it happened a second time where you could say, look, this is a kick that someone should make in the NFL, he didn't make it, and we're now losing games, then I'd probably find an injury and go back into Robbie. But then again, this is all under the presumption that Robbie is chilling out and uh, you know working out on his own and unemployed. There are other teams who could certainly come to that conclusion, too. And I don't think in that case he's going to go, you know, I'd like to sign with you, but let me go check with John Lynch because we have such a good relationship. (laughs) And I feel so good about that situation that I just want to give him a heads up first. I'm pretty sure that's not how it would play out. Yeah, I mean, and you know this, and I think written it or know that, I mean, the 49ers did move on from Robbie Gold. Like, they made the decision, we don't really want to do this anymore, other than a clutch yeah. kicker. But, you know, not, he's not a kickoff guy anymore. He's a little bit of a strong-willed guy, right? I mean, for a kicker, <laughs> he, he held out, like, two years ago. Like, you know, like, uh, I yeah, don't know. He, I, I would, like, I mean, I would say Robbie says things very directly and has strong opinions that uh, sometimes in the context of, contracts maybe sometimes in the context of other things he has made his thoughts known in a very direct non-subtle way uh you know so yeah now listen for the record if we're talking about the cleveland browns and they had a you know however you term it a kicker they considered a pain of the butt who was really good and they were like okay enough we're drafting a guy turning the page i really would just go, hey, 
I get it. But the reason I'm so riled up about this is you are in the most win now of win now mode. You would acknowledge that if you are Jed York, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, the window is right now. It doesn't mean you can't win in a few years. You probably will have a good team, but you have a, you have a quarterback on the lowest of rookie contracts. You're not even allowed to revisit that till after the 2024 season. And you have a lot of really high paid guys around him. Most of whom are either on the downside of their career or right there in their prime. And you, we know how the NFL is. So it is right now. You want to win now. You don't just want to win now. You want to get that number one seed. You've come out and told me and you and other people that openly. It's a big deal. So why would you mess around with a position where it takes traditionally rookies a while to figure it out? There's head case potential, yips potential, and it's, you know, every game matters for seeding, let alone in an elimination game where every kick matters. And you literally have a guy that you've had, at least, that has had 68 chances over the course of his career to mess up in the postseason and has messed up zero times. I I just don't see why you would play around if you're the Niners and not try to have that guy. The way I'm thinking about it now, it's almost like, okay, they were, I mean, Robbie was going to cost a lot, right? We know that. I mean, I don't know if the, the cost was going to be huge right now, but he was going to charge him for this. And we know Kyle doesn't love thinking about special teams and doesn't want to go through 20 different options. And he just said, get me a kicker. If the fastest way to get me one is a draft, let's just do it. I don't want to go looking at the game tape of the, you know, somebody else's preseason kicks. Although that Duskin Hopkins looked pretty good, by the way, who was like, what, what he was a I mean, roster Zane, kid at the end. Zane I mean, Gonzalez. Yep, yeah. yep. Zane Gonzalez looked pretty good. If Zane Gonzalez doesn't get I, hurt, I, I mean, think he might be kicking for the 49ers right now. I, I, I kind of felt that at the time. Then he gets hurt, and then they go back to Moody. But anyway, I just think it was a little bit I, of a, a, a Kyle process here. Like, he just doesn't want to think about it. Yeah. So just draft me some the best guy, and let's just forget about it. And you can't really do sure, that. Sure, sure. But what's he thinking about right now? Right now he's thinking, I was, I had a pretty good sense if I sent Robbie out there with a 41-yard attempt to win the game that it was going to go. Now, it didn't in Vegas, and they ended up winning in overtime. Uh, it was a tie game situation, a little less stressful, but still. Um, and so I'm not saying the guy's infallible and that he couldn't possibly miss a kick. I'm just saying mindset-wise, Kyle wasn't really worried about that. And certainly in the playoffs, it never was a thing. So what's more stressful, having to worry about a kicker as a pain in the butt or, you know, worry about working out other kickers or looking around the league or, you know, trying to figure out if Jake Moody is going to be good right away. And, you know, Daniel Carlson was not good right away. The Vikings cut him. Now he's a really, really good kicker for the Raiders, and they wish they hadn't. But, again, this team cannot afford the luxury of having a guy work through it and discovering on the fly if he's going to be good right away or not. I just – it, it just – it baffles me given the overall 
landscape of where they are that they would, you know, be so inconsistent when it comes to that spot. Yeah, they did it to themselves. There's no question about it. And we, we are watching it play out. All right, last football question I'll ask. Okay, so they're coming up on the trade deadline. We know they've been active many times, pretty active last year, if I recall. They made a fairly significant move. Do you think they can be active? Do you think they want to be active? And if they are, what are you looking at? Who are the targets? Well, that's the other thing. They have 40 something million dollars in cap space. And yeah. I know that they want to roll that over and, you know, it's not necessarily the smartest thing to spend a ton right now when you look at what's coming up next year. But again, you're in win now mode. And so what? So I think you can afford to at least think about it. And by the way, that's a, that's another part of this equation. If you have to swallow your pride and go groveling to Robbie and say, Hey, come back. Uh, and you can get over that part of it. You can definitely get over the financial part of it. I mean, You've got, dude, you've got cap space. So, um, you know, what do they need if everyone's healthy? Uh, if everyone's healthy, you know, would you take a you take a right tackle? Yeah, but, you know, probably you're going to take Colton McKivitt, who has been trained by Chris Furster in this game and all that. Uh, would you take another edge? Yeah. Drake Jackson's three sacks in the opener notwithstanding. Uh, Randy Gregory's little pop that he showed you in this game notwithstanding. Yeah, you would take an edge. At what price? I don't know. But if, I don't know, if someone who they think is still good and serviceable, I was there for the taking, maybe. Would you take a corner? Yeah, you'd always take a corner. Uh, So I think if it were an edge or a corner, you'd probably – would at least think about it. Yeah, I, I also think. Do you want just tackle depth where you know Trent Williams yeah. doesn't have to hobble back because oh my god, you know Jalen Moore's not going to be able to block Miles Garrett. I realize there's only one Miles Garrett, but there's you know Mike Parsons and we know all the you know, T.J. Watt. We know the list of the great uh, defensive pa- pass rushers, but just somebody who can maybe compete at right tackle, but also maybe doesn't start and then. If Trent goes down or McKivitz can't do it, you do have somebody. And I've thrown out Trent Brown, who they have not had a great relationship with. That they cut, you know, they, they cut or traded him, whatever. Like Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch did move on from him when they drafted McGlinchey. But he's got he's got experience of both sides. I don't think the Patriots would, you know, are, are hoarding up all their players here. They might be ready for a sell at some point. It's just I've circled that one. I don't know what the personal relationship that he has with. Shanahan right now or or first or whoever but I, I'd, I'd say tackle if, if I'm them but you know who knows who knows if you know Brown's available who knows what they 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 view for him but man every time you think of Trent Williams thank god they can't lose him they absolutely like there's no way they you know and, and maybe a little depth would help there by the way I would I would not rule out them trading someone you know if someone called about Elijah Mitchell mm-hmm. and you feel like McCaffrey's injury is not long term and they're, they're offering you something, and you love Elijah Mitchell, but he's hurt all the time, and you've got Christian McCaffrey, you know, you, you might do that the other way. Mm, interesting. And it probably depends on if they really think Ty Davis-Price can, can get some carries, and, and, and we'll see about that. Uh, all right, this is a great conversation. I, I will uh, wrap this up with a version of a question I've asked you before. 
I've asked, I asked all my guests, a little, little spin on this one, because we have a special guest, Mike Silver, who certainly has traveled around the league and has just been to his uh-huh. favorite city. I know your favorite city is Cleveland, so I, I'm going to just go ahead and say that. But let's go ask the question. Mike Silver, what's your favorite NFL road city? It's really hard to pick against Cleveland. I, <laughs> I, you and I have spent some time there. But sticking up for Hugh Jackson on social media and on television and in print, and being uh, childhood friends with the coach of the Warriors, in both cases, it really endeared me to the locals. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I, my sons and I have had this conversation many, many times because, okay, this is going to, I've been a filibuster for a while, but it's for a good cause. So, you know, as a Cal fan, for example, I want to be totally empathic to Cleveland fans. They've got this history of suffering and futility and heartbreak. And it's, you know, it, it builds up after a while. And I, trust me, I get it, right? No Rose Bowl in my lifetime. And now there probably never will be. Uh, and the Browns, or, you know, the Browns in both incarnations, uh, in the Super Bowl era, certainly, uh, the Cavs for so long, and the team now known as the Guardians, just, you know, it, it's a lot. So when they finally won it, Though I grew up a Warrior fan, and though I obviously have some strong personal feelings because of my relationship with Steve, uh, and though I went to game six of 2016 where Steph threw the mouthpiece and all of Cleveland exulted because it was going seven, there was a part of me that was like, okay, good for you guys. You've got your championship. You ended the run of futility. Enjoy this. But... That didn't last long because it was just unfathomable to me how they seemed to collectively react. And I I would say this again, like I always have to look at things through the prism of my own stupid fandom, usually with Cal, but let's take the Warriors because my sons obviously really, really got into that and cared as they were in, you know, high school and junior high school, whatever they were in. And they, viewed it kind of like I viewed it, which was that comeback against OKC and the Western Conference Finals was so unbelievably inspiring and awesome and improbable and down to the nitty-gritty with Clay Thompson having to hit those shots in Game 6 that it really like felt good, I think, for them as Warrior fans. Like, this is – they came back from 3-1. What a cool thing. And, yeah, it sucked to be up 3-1 and then lose. But they had just won a championship the year before after 40 years. And it just didn't feel like this cataclysmic thing. It was just kind of a bummer. And yet, ha, 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 you blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> like, I, I'm just telling you, if Cal somehow went to the Rose Bowl and it came down to the big game and Stanford had blown a lead – I wouldn't be going, hey, 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 Stanford blew a lead. Much as I like making fun of Stanford, I'd be like, we're so epic. We did it. Thank you, football gods. You know, whatever. But it was never framed as, you know, we came back from 3-1 down. What a joy. It was like, ha, ha, ha. The Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. And it just they just seemed so gross to me collectively that, I now want them to suffer 
looking at a Cubs-Indians at the time World Series. But weirdly, the Cleveland team blew a 3-1 lead in that right after. And I took some pleasure in that, karmically. And uh, a certain G League head coach now, who is the (laughs) son of a certain head coach, uh, I think spoke for me when he went to... I think that next Warriors Cavs game and was Christmas of after KD side, so Christmas 17, of 16, 16, 16 then technically, yep. and uh, he showed up and he sat in a very conspicuous seat wearing a Cubs hat. Mm. Now he is a lifelong Cubs fan. He was born in Chicago and you know was fell in love with the Cubs at a very early age. I loved it. I was like, good, you know. So yeah, it's not Cleveland. Uh, yeah, I guess it's I not. Love, I love I love New Orleans. Yeah. I love Seattle, but it's kind of ruined this year. Yeah. Thanksgiving night, and that's not going to be optimal. Uh, and I do love New York City very, very much. All right, that was quite a that was a barn burner on Cleveland, but I yeah I uh, it's all interesting. I do think Cleveland. I, I experienced this. You probably experienced when you covered the Four Nights Dynasty. I, I experienced when I covered the Lakers, Shaq, Kobe, where some of these cities just have this paranoia about the big team, the big Hollywood team, and everything's for them, and they all hate us. We're the small market blue collar team, and we've got to fight <laughs> you every second. And it just I I don't like. Well, I'll just say that kind of journalism I hate because just right, just cover the team and everything's, you know, a game and it's yeah, not a social yeah. event. It's, it's not, you know, uh, p- political. It's just what it is. Uh, but you get that right. over and over and you get these big teams. The Warriors are one of these teams now and you just see this. And as you know, I call them the small time guys. They're just, everything is personal. Everything is persecution. You've persecuted us. And now we shall strike back. Yeah. It's a freaking game. It's yeah. a freaking game. But, oh, well, it's part of, part of what we, we deal with part of life, but Michael, uh, I appreciate the conversation as always. Hope you have, uh, you've, you've proceeded nicely down the road onto Santa Clara. I know you will, you will be down there in Santa Clara. I won't, but uh, uh, thank you so much for the conversation as always. All right, and uh, a very happy Blocktober to you and yours, uh, and those that you hold dear, and especially those that you abhor and purge, uh, and think so much about after you block them. I mean, I know, speaking for myself, I, I think about each and every person I block after the fact for at least. Point oh oh two seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, did I block that person? I don't remember. It just was a, a press of a button. Well, happy October to everybody. <laughs> it's a celebratory time. Uh, it's a special time. Uh, and I thank you so much. I bet. Thank you. All right, you got it. That's the show for today, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>